to experience God together in the, in, the, in, the, in the context of worship. And we will be looking at a number of different elements that are, that are um, um, mentioned or spoken to there by Paul in, in, in those chapters. And we're going to start today in the second part of 1 Corinthians 11, um, where it talks about the Lord's Supper. But I was thinking as I was going into this, this series that um, I've had the privilege of not only um, being a part of, but visiting a lot of church services in my life. I've, I grew up uh, uh, in a, my first experience with uh, God in church was in a really small church in the mountains of New Mexico. I uh, transferred that uh, membership uh, as a kid when we moved to San Antonio, Texas, and I was involved in a really large Southern Baptist church. Uh, I, I moved on to college, and I was involved in a real, another really large Southern Baptist church that then I ended up going to another Baptist church that was charismatic, and that was very different from the Southern Baptist church that I'd been a part of. Uh, are, are, you, are you following me? I would visit my grandmother who was at an Assembly of God church, and I would visit my uh, uncle's church, which was a Catholic church. Uh, in college, I went on a mission trip, and I was a part of a French church that met uh, in a met in somebody's home. Uh, I got to be a part of a charismatic monastery. That's a crazy mixture of of, of, of sorts. Uh, I've been all over the world, being a part of churches in small villages in Liberia, in uh, uh, small communities in um, Siberia. I've been in India. I've been in, in Europe in multiple churches. I've been all over the world. And I can tell you that there are some unique things about church that make me come alive when I get to experience Jesus with his children. And then there are some things that really bother me. Can I just be honest? You can get so encouraged by church, and you can get really discouraged by church. And Paul was too. And Paul, when he wrote this letter, was writing to the church that he had established. Some five years earlier, he had gone into Corinth and began to preach the gospel um, and share his life with uh, those who received the gospel and were saved and started a church, started a beautiful church, was there longer than any other place that he stayed at one time during those journeys living with them, loving them, encouraging them in the Word of God, reminding them of who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about in their life. And then he left, and two or three years later, he's writing this letter. Now, if you've read 1 Corinthians, you realize that Paul is addressing some problems in the church. But you also need to realize that at the very beginning, he encourages them with the truth that they are his brothers and sisters in the Lord. You're my brothers and sisters. You're, the one, you're, you're one of many churches, but as I'm writing this letter to you, you are a dear, dear church to me. A dear body of brothers and sisters who I baptize many of you along with Apollos and, and different ones, and I preach to you, and I lived life with you, and I worked alongside of you. You're my friends. You're my family. You're my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And there are some things that I want to talk to you about that are out of order but don't forget that it's in the context of how much I love you, how much I care about you. 
I, as a matter of fact, as a good brother or a good sister does or a good mother or father, we oftentimes are our most honest. We're on it, oftentimes are most direct with those that we love the most. Why? Because we don't want whatever we're addressing or whatever concern that we have, we don't want our concerns to manifest themselves in, in, in destruction or discouragement or problems or heart, heartache in our friends' or family's lives. That's exactly what Paul is doing here in Corinth. He's writing a letter to them to let them know, hey, you're my family, I've lived with you, I love you, and it's come to my attention that there's some things that are going on there that are, that are destructive. And if, we're not going to go through the whole letter, but I wanted you to, 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 to know that that's the context of which he's writing. He's writing to a people in a city that, it, uh, as one um, theologian, Gordon Fee, um, wrote in his, uh, his commentary on Corinthians, he said, the Corinth of that time was very similar to a combination of New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas in our time. It's that kind of city. It was an intersection of trade. It was an intersection of the cultures of the world around it. It was, um, it was a city that was acquiring the new wealth of the, of the Roman Empire. It was, a, it was an up-and-coming city, and so wealthy entrepreneurs and, and, and aristocrats were moving into Corinth and setting themselves on the perimeter of the city and influencing the city greatly by their wealth. There were all kinds of worshiping of different gods going on in the city, all kinds of crossroads of the religions of that world that were coming together. It was a melting pot, as New York is described, of the nations. It was a contemporary culture setter like L.A. And it was an idolatrous city like Las Vegas. It was uh, something to be seen, something to, 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 to take in. And it was in this context that Paul saw a church established, predominantly among uh, Greeks. Um, there's, there's, there's very little attention in this letter to Jewish customs or to uh, the addressing of, the, of the, the Jewish population in that city, although we know that there would be Jews uh, that have converted to Christianity that would have been a part of that church. But predominantly, this letter is written from the context of this Greek culture that had infiltrated the church. And so we see it in relation to uh, the, uh, the cultic meals or the meals that they were, would have participated in before Christ that uh, those customs kind of seeping into their daily life within the church. We, we see different uh, theological or different uh, um, wisdom streams that are, are challenging the, the theology of the church in Corinth. And we also see the, strat the socioeconomic strata divide in the church. As a matter of fact, when we look at our passage of Scripture today, that's going to be the primary um, influence of the culture that seeped into the church that Paul is really discouraged about. Okay? Um, we want to see within the context of these four chapters a few things uh, really clearly that Paul is writing to the church. That the Spirit of God is alive in his church. And that the Holy Spirit, as my one Nigerian friend encouraged me of when I was, was asking about something about God one day, he said, Sure, the Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit. He would not disgrace us. And I said, Yes, sir. I understand that the Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit. 
He's a Holy Spirit meant to be revered and honored within the church. But the Spirit of God is also active within the church to bring love as the central theme that binds us. And right in the middle of 11 through 14, we're going to spend a, a, a Sunday on 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says all of this stuff that we're talking about would make sense or would not be a problem if love permeated your being in the way that you treated one another. All right? Okay. So, church. What do we want church? What do we want? And, and, and again, let me just make a couple more um, I want to say a couple more things. When I say church, I don't just say Sunday morning worship. So as you're thinking about 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, yes, this is a part of it, and this is how we experience it together because that's what we're doing today. But this is also our life groups. This is also groups of people where two or three or more are gathered in my name. There is church, right? So when we gather in the name of Christ and we break bread together, and we pray for one another, we confess our needs and our sin to one another, and we share uh, the Word of God with one another, and we allow God to speak to us in, in settings of threes and fours and tens and twenties and thirties and hundreds and thousands, Paul is addressing this corporate gathering of believers together. Amen. So let's jump in to uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 4. Oh, let's just jump in and then stop. Holy cow, is that really what time it is? Okay. All right. Plan B. Let's read this. Let's at least read the past description. I'll make a couple of points. Because we're going to end with communion together. So as you, as you anticipate what's about to happen, uh, this is what, what's happening at the end, is that we're going to share a meal together. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. This is Paul speaking in the church. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together at church, as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have, have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. But when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judge ourselves, 
we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone's hungry, you should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. So this is always an interesting passage of Scripture that most Protestant churches don't ever use as their communion passage of Scripture because it's crazy. There's some crazy stuff in there. Would anybody admit there's some crazy stuff in there? I have never associated an unworthy taking of communion with death. But it's in there. I've never associated uh, some of the things that Paul is, is saying here, or at least I've, I've not taken um, um, time to pray, God, is, are, are things going on here that have a result of what might, Paul might have been talking about in, in this passage of Scripture? I believe that what he's talking in this passage of Scripture has a lot more to do, has, has more to do, he's saying more than just what's happening at an individual meal. I think what he's addressing is that there is a way in which the church, the body, and in verse 29 when he addresses the body, he is talking about how we address one another, not just how we address the Lord. That there's something going on in the Corinthian church that's so out of order that it is making, it is beginning to make a mockery of what Christ literally had done on the cross for them. They are rewriting in the way that they're living among one another and how they are approaching the meal as part of that example. They are rewriting what the gospel was all about. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you remember last month when we talked about the Lord's Supper at the beginning of, of April, we, we put it in the context of Jesus in His last days on the earth. Remember, it was right before Easter. And we talked about how at the supper... He not only demonstrated to them what this cup and this bread was all about, that the bread symbolized his body that was about to be broken on the cross, and that the cup of, uh, of, of wine was to symbolize his blood, which would be the, that he would shed, and it would be the pouring out of his life to establish a new covenant, not a, not a cup Uh, Not a cup of judgment, not a cup of wrath. Remember, we went to the Garden of Gethsemane to talk about this cup. And he was going to bear the wrath of God upon himself so that his blood being shed would be for the remission of our sins, for the forgiveness of our lives, so that we would not receive judgment, but that, that God would in turn pour out blessing upon us. Salvation because of what Christ did for us on the cross. He did all of this for us so that we could be set free. From sin, there was there would be no more barrier. Remember, there was we talked about the 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 veil in the temple or the the curtain in the temple being torn from top to bottom, and now we have access into the presence of God. There would be no division anymore between us and God, and there would now no, be no more division between us and one another. Paul goes on and talks about another passage of scripture that there is now therefore now no Jew or Greek. There's not, no longer a distinction between male and female. There's no longer a distinction between freed and slaves. But those divisions have been broken at the cross. So that now we come to the table, we come to worship God, and there's no division here, and there's no division here. There's no preferential treatment here 
Every one of us is equal at the foot of the cross. There's no work to be done. It's not, okay, you've worked harder, so you're closer to Jesus, and I've worked less, so I'm farther away. There's no work that separates us. It's the work of Jesus. And also, there is no division between you and me. And what was happening in this, what Paul gives us, gives attention to, or what we, what we discern is happening in the church, is that there is still a distinction of classes in the church. I remember growing up, and it, in, this, in this context, it was social class. But it, we, could, we could apply this in our own uh, current context to that. We could apply it to social, uh, to social classes. We could pl- apply it to racial distinctions. We could apply it to whatever divides us in this world. And he's saying Jesus just as much died and in, 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 uh, shed his blood for this division. He also did it for this division. And this division in the Corinthian church was out of line. Most theologians assume that what was going on in this, in this passage of Scripture in the context of the church is that they would come together for meals, not just like crackers and, and, and grape juice like we do on Sunday morning. They'd come together for a meal, but what was happening in the context of these house churches is that there were different rooms, and the wealthy would be in one room, and they might even come ahead of time and have a really big meal and and hang out together, and then the other class of people were in the, anti, in, the, in, the, in the foyer or in another, another location. And there was a distinction that was going on in their worship, something akin to that time in our history as a, as a church, and maybe it still goes on, when people would rent pews. And the wealthy people would sit in the front pews to declare to everybody else that they gave more money. And I remember when I was in church, and I inadvertently sat in somebody's seat one time. You ever sat in someone's seat? I was just a kid. I didn't know what was going on, and I sat in his seat, and I got the look. I never sat in that seat again because it was his seat. Our places of honor, our places of distinction, our places where we are seen to be better than. We can do that economically. We can do that socially. We can do that even with spiritual gifts that Paul's going to address later in this chapter, where we begin to elevate people's gifts and the way they minister as being more important. Therefore, they're the ones that are closer to God, the ones who prophesy, the ones who speak in tongues, the ones who do miracles. Oh, they're the ones that God sees as better. No, not at all. We are all level at the foot of the cross. And Paul gets very clear as you've just read in this passage of Scripture, but he also communicates, listen, when this gets out of balance, the church is out of balance, and Jesus' gospel is polluted, and the world cannot see what is truly the gospel at all. So, he says, and I will go to this point so that we can take communion together. He takes us to three points that that I would highlight He says that we are to, and he uses that beautiful synopsis of the Lord's Supper to challenge us to keep Jesus central to our church experience. The gospel is the center of why we're here. I often say that if it weren't for the gospel, we would just be a great social club. You know, we could still gather, and there are actually plenty of now, I've I've just heard about it, There's, there's a growing number of atheistic churches actually call themselves churches. 
Because they like what we got going on. They just don't want Jesus in the center of it. So they worship. They have a teaching. They have fellowship meals. And in some sense, it's, it's a mocking of religion. But in one sense, it's a heartfelt desire that we all experience to be with one another. That's a good thing. I actually think it's great that they're doing that. I just want to slide in one day and give a testimony. <laughs> See what happens. Hey, I just love being a part of your church. Let me tell you about church. Jesus has to be center. And we take the elements this morning together. We, um, we take them remembering what Christ has done for us on the cross. I have been in very, very what I would call um, uh, stoic and um, uh, serious churches. And I have been in some of the craziest, wacky, charismatic services you've ever been in. And, and everything in between, actually, I am a traveled church man. And I can tell you that the form does not declare the reverence. I've been in some wonderfully beautiful uh, Orthodox churches where I sense the deep, deep, awe-inspiring presence of God. And I've been in some crazy charismatic services where there was no presence of God in it, and vice versa. I've been around flesh that's flailing on the floor, and I've been, I've been around flesh that's stoic in the pew. And at the same time, I can say that when Jesus is front and center, and he is worshiped in the room, whatever the form, church happens. Because he comes and makes himself. Secondly, Paul talks in the scripture that it's important, therefore, if Christ is central and that we are to revere and honor and worship him, then we should first start off by examining our own lives so that when we come to church, take this meal together, but I believe in any context of church, we are not coming in an air of arrogance. We're not coming in an air of entitlement. We're not coming with an air of criticism and critique. We're not coming in an air of apathy. All four of those things that I just described are not honoring to the Lord. Would you agree with me on that? But if we come with an air or a disposition or an attitude of humility to receive and to allow God to first speak to us, knowing that at any moment, at any time, God could, could, could turn over a stone in our heart and we go, Wow, I had no idea that was there. Anybody experience that? You're doing good, and God said, you know, you're doing so good, I think it's, it's time to take you to another level. You know, I'm feeling good about myself, Lord. Okay, good. Let's just look at this place right here. Oh, not doing so good, Lord. God does that so that we can move continually closer to him, to examine ourselves so that we don't, in an unworthy manner, with arrogance or critique or division in our hearts, trample on the very thing that Christ has done for us on the cross. Then lastly, he challenges us to be right with one another as the body of Christ. One translation says to discern the body. 
to be discerning of the body of Christ. Another one talks about receiving or accepting the body. How often do we walk into a small group or a larger group church service or a gathering of the Lord and we carry both, all three of those things in our heart? Jesus, you're to be glorified and worshiped. God, my life is humbly before you. Speak whatever you want to speak to me to, Lord. And if there's any sin, reveal it in my life so that I might confess and repent and be right with you. And Lord, how well do I know the people around me and what is going on in their life? And how connected am I to truly love them and to break down the division or barrier and draw them close to me as a brother and sister in the Lord? Where they feel accepted, known, encouraged, helped, built up, whatever your gifts are to give and whatever needs they have to receive, that the church is doing that. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. Paul is saying that's what we're to do when we come together. Can I have the band come on up here? Um, So at that point, I want to do a couple of things. As they play behind, I want to do two things. I want us to to position ourselves before the Lord here at first, and I want to I want you to ask the question as you respond to the Lord before we take the elements. God, are you in a place of worship in my life right now? And not just God, but Jesus. As we remember, as we remember your life and your death, are we aware and reverent and thankful for your body? that you sacrificed for us, the blood that you shed for us. And are you in a place of worship, of preeminence in my life? Let's take a moment and let's allow you to focus in that place. judgment for us, but a throne of grace, of mercy, of unmerited favor as we put our trust in you, Jesus. So thank you. We come before you in worship, and we come into your presence. You still love us enough to let us know if there's things off in our life where we need um, a fresh view of our own sin or our failure so that we can be healed and forgiven. Lord, if there's anything that you want us to examine right now in our lives, would you help us to examine our life right now? Spirit of God, would you speak to us? Is there a place of repentance, a place of turning, a turning away from something that's not good, a place of turning to something that is good? Would you lead out in the examination of my heart? Let's just take a moment for God to speak to you in that place of examination. Remember, this is a throne of grace, not a place of judgment. He's, he will speak because he wants to set you free.
very helpful for me when God speaks. I'm a journaler, so I'll write it down. If you have your journal with you or your Bible, write, write it down or a piece of paper, write it down, put it in your pocket so that you can think about it again and allow the Lord to do his deep work in your life. Another thing that I do in these times of examine, when necessary, not all the time, but when necessi- necessary, if there's something that's got a hold on me, it's not coming loose at the first prayer, that it's got a pattern in my life. And I ask the Lord, Lord, who do you want me to share this with? Scripture tells us that when we confess our sins one to, one to another, we're healed. There's a healing that comes when we walk together with somebody in confession and accountability. It might be that God wants you to be open to him putting a name or person in your mind to talk to. Could be your spouse, could be a good friend, could be someone that you trust and respect. Let God speak to you right now. That's all. And lastly is how we love one another. I made mention of the fact that God's desire and Paul's desire for the church is they were um, living in a place of division and separation and segregation in relation to this meal and other, other issues within the church. Um, the wall has been broken down between us, and the, the way that the wall is broken down is fellowshipping and worshiping together, but also being involved in each other's lives allowing the needs or the, or the present place of our life to be known by other people and for us to seek out that knowledge in other people's lives. But oftentimes, one of the reasons that there remains a wall or there remains, remains separation is because your need is not known. So I'm going to do something interesting here, and we are going to stand up here in, here in a minute. But what I'd like for you to do, if, if you have a need that you are carrying privately, meaning the body of Christ does not know about it, but you discern from the Lord that by making that known to somebody, it would draw you into the body. It would draw you in in relationship with the church in a way that is safe and encouraging and strengthening for you. I'm not I'm not asking you to do anything that you feel uncomfortable about doing, but if you're in a place where you have need and you want to draw into the body right now, what I want you to do, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. I'm going to ask you to come up here and stand um, in these, these open sections. And that's all, that's all I'm going to ask you to do right now. And then I'm going to ask, after that, I'm going to ask the church to respond to your need. I really believe what's going on here in the Corinthian church is that the segregation of the church separated the body from loving one another in a way that they needed to be loving. And I think this is a way for us to respond. And then as we do that, then I'm going to ask as you're getting prayed for and, and, and people are responding that you take communion together as a place of worship and, and trust that God, in the midst of your need, in the midst of someone desiring to pray with you and, and believe for your needs to be met, that Jesus would be the, the, the X factor, that he would come in and he would bring love and unity together, but he would begin to provide for your needs. So if that's you, in your need, come and just stand up here.
there's nothing wrong about being needy. Just a little, little insight. We all are needy. Just ask my wife. She knows that I'm needy. So if you have need right now, there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, you allowing us to know is a really, really important thing. I think there's more than this. into the body of Christ right now to receive love from you but also that tangible love from other people a prayer, an affirmation help we ask God that you would draw them in right now okay, if you're here right in the front can you stand over right over here in this section here just so we can keep these this area open okay, now one last time come on up anybody else for need Stand over here. Can you move? We'll give it, we'll balance it out right now. So we have more room. We want more people to be able to get around you. Okay. So now you've seen church, you've seen people walk up. I want you to look up and I want you to ask the Lord, God, do I have anything to give one of these people? It could be prayer. It could be a hand on their shoulder. It might be that you hear their story and you're like, wow, I know of a way to help that need be met. Who knows what God's going to do? So, Lord, would you? Would you speak to the body right now as those who have humbled themselves and, 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 and have stood before us and said, I've got a need that I'd like somebody to know about in this church. Now, would you bring people from the church to stand around and to listen to and to encourage the people up front? So if you are feeling the presence of the Lord speak to you, stand up. And let's begin to lay hands and pray over these people that are up front. I'm believing that every person up front some, at least one person that God is sending their way. You might have 10. And don't let a crowd discourage you. It might be that one person needs 10 people. So go to the person that you felt like the Lord told you to go to. Okay, stand up with me, church. This is, this is a time for all of us to participate. We have communion elements at the front here. The worship team is going to play. It might be that you have a personal response to the Lord that you want to come up individually and take communion. That's great. You might want to come with somebody else and pray together. Um, but let's take, take, let's take the elements this morning in an attitude of worship of Jesus, in a place of humility, in an examine of our own lives, in a love for his body, that we're believing for the walls of division to be broken down, and then for God to be real in our midst. As you are ready, come forward and take communion. And we will finish out this time in communion. You're more than welcome to stay and continue to worship after you take communion or you can leave. In a couple of minutes, if, if we haven't already seen a mass exodus towards the children's area, we'll have you go get your children. You can actually go get your children, actually, and take communion with you if you wanted to as well. Savior, I come, quiet my soul, remember, redemption's hill, where your blood was spilled, for my ransom. 
everything I want held dear. I count it all as lost. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to
in a place of connecting. Remember, this passage of Scripture talks about us receiving and accepting and breaking down walls that divide and bringing people into our lives. So I would encourage us to to see this not as a one-time thing, but a beginning of something that God is doing in your life. Also, I know that there are more connect points in the area of need and receiving and accepting that are in our body out here. So let's remember that God broke the walls down. Your sin and failure does not separate you in the church. It's an opportunity for us to heal, forgive, to restore. Your physical needs, both physically in your body or your financial needs or your relational needs, are meant to be met and helped and encouraged in the body. But we can't do that if we don't know what's going on. And we can't do that if we've insulated ourselves and don't want any interaction with anybody, but on Sunday mornings, the people that sit beside me, and I hope they don't touch me and talk to me. But we've got to draw in. That's why we do life groups, is that in life group, you you get known more. There's more questions that are asked. It's why we try to touch each other in different areas of our life at different times in our life, because we're saying we're called to be together. Amen? That's why the women's retreat happened. Bree said, I love this body. My wife came home and said, I love the women in our church. And not just Waltham, but Brighton and Beverly. I love these people that I get to be with. Get in the picture? Okay. Father, we love you. We are one with you. You're our one passion. It's our desire. We are weak, but you're strong. We desire that you continue to examine us and continue to restore us and continue to pour out your healing. And at the same time, we ask, God, that you keep on opening up our eyes to those around us, around us in the church, that we might love and strengthen one another so the world might see that your love transforms lives and communities and so that our communities, therefore, will be changed because Jesus is more and more in the center of what's going on. We love you. We praise you. Amen. God bless you, your parent. Look at your kids. As is true always, please say hello to somebody and hug them before you leave. Get to know somebody.
Your heart in me. 